0: Hey, Greyhounds fans, thank you for listening to the Hounds Huddle podcast on MoravianSports.com, the Greyhound Sports Network, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am L.J. Smith, Assistant Director of Athletic Communications at Moravian University, and on this episode, I sat down with the Director of Cross-Country and Track and Field, Jesse Bauman, going back to his days as a student athlete in Wisconsin, concluding with his 11th season as the head coach of the Moravian Greyhounds Cross-Country Programs. So let's get this episode started and meet our guest, Jesse Bauman. And welcome back to the Hound's Huddle podcast on the Greyhound Sports Network, MoravianSports.com, and wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm joined by guest head coach, Jesse Bauman of the cross-country and track and field programs. Jesse, thank you for spending time with me today. And we'll get to go through your history as a student athlete, your coaching tenure, and finishing your 11th season with the cross-country program. So, thanks, thank you for being here. Thanks um, for having me. And we'll, we'll get right into it. Uh, so, cross-country is one of those things where, like, it's it's running, but it's competitive running. Did you know that's what you kind of wanted to do as a kid? Was that, like, a sport, or did you dabble in other sports growing up?
1: When I'm recruiting, I kind of joke about this all the time that probably 90%— now joke, but we talk about probably 90% of the athletes we talked to came from some other sport— soccer always seems to be the prevailing one and I was like that too like every other little you know whippersnapper I was running around on the soccer fields and all that kind of stuff and um we did indoor I just grew up in Wisconsin so we had indoor which is really cool you're in like maybe a hockey size arena with the old school astroturf on it and fuzzy ball uh, like these little kind of yellow fuzzy balls you can just you know kick the heck out of the ball and um yeah a lot of fond memories of that and I don't know if I ever had visions of Well, I guess when you're that age, you're going to be a pro athlete and something. But soccer was kind of the original trajectory. But then um, uh, I was good at kicking the heck out of the ball, but any other skills, not so much. So um, I had a friend. uh, His name was Dan Schneider. He was on the soccer team. And his family had always gone up through running at the high school I went to, front-area high school and we were both realizing we're never gonna cut it in high school, so around eighth grade, since his brothers had long gone before him and gone to states and all this stuff, Mm -hmm. he convinced me to come out for middle school cross country in eighth grade, and then that's how that happened. So I was like many others, I don't think anyone grows up in fifth grade is like, I'm gonna be a state champion in cross country. (laughs) Um, You just kind of stumble into this sport, and yeah, this is another example of that.
0: So you joined the cross country team in eighth grade, and you progressed throughout high school. Were you recruited in high school? What was that process like for you as you continued to kind of grow your love for the
1: sport? I had some success. I wasn't like you know an all-state superstar or anything like that, but I actually was not recruited much. Um, UW-River Falls talked to me a little bit. Um, I think it was uh, – who else was it? it They're Wisconsin school, so probably people won't even know them, but I wasn't recruited much. and then, I don't know if it was a function of the times, um, you know, since – we have something called mile split. It's a way that you track what everybody else is running throughout the country. Um, that wasn't really in existence. You didn't have cell phones yet. Email was just starting as, I mean, I sound like I'm dating myself so much here, but, and I don't know if that a function of it, but I really hardly got recruited. I think I had one recruiting call from my college coach after I'd already committed to the school three months prior to that. Okay. So I was hardly ever talked to. And, Truth be told, I mean, I was okay, but it wasn't like a standout. I, I broke out a lot my senior year of track when things were kind of too late. So I kind of just went to the school I wanted to for the major, and then running kind of fell in, or I fell into running at that at that school.
0: So for me, and, and others might think if you do cross country, you just do track and field. Now, what was... Like distance running and then doing other events in track and field, they don't always correlate. But there are distance events in track and field. So when you got the track and field, was it like I'm a distance event runner?
1: Well, again, another kind of evolution process. Where in eighth grade, you know, I guess maybe everyone starts out that you think if you're going to do track, you think you're a sprinter and a jumper. So I started out with the jumps and I stunk, of course. Um, just wasn't my skill set. Um, but then it just kind of an evolution process. Uh, coach Marks was my uh, coach at uh, Verona and. Heck of a guy. Um, still coaching cross country there. Just awesome, awesome icon at Verona. But um, he just kind of saw where my talents were going with cross country. And then in track, you just eventually, I mean, it depends on how each program does, but you just see where people naturally align. It, cross country runners tend to gravitate towards the um, the distance running. The only other thing that you sometimes maybe see some fluctuation in is the 4x4 four four is kind of like an in between point in a track and where your sprinters move up, some of your faster distance runners move down. I stumbled into that, he threw me, uh, Coach Mark threw me into a sophomore JV 4x4, and all of a sudden I popped a good time, and that one being event that was a big part of what I was doing uh, the rest of high school. But oh, as a distance runner, you tend to just gravitate towards the distance events, the 4x4 is like that one kind of exception, between. Yeah, in in-betweener event, Yeah. You
0: know? So you end up going to the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point, and you're a student athlete there in both cross country and track. What was your experience like as a student athlete?
1: Yeah, it almost didn't happen. It's kind of what I was talking about before where I went to orientation, and I don't – is and in whatever, in June or something like that, and I really hadn't talked to Coach Witt a whole lot. He's still coaching there right now. Um, but he had tapped me on the shoulder at one of, like, the registration sessions or whatever it was and said, hey, you're coming out for the team. And I was like, I guess. Like, we kind of <laughs> talked about it, but I didn't put a lot of thought on it. I, I'm really not uh, – that's, that's a true story, honestly. I wasn't sure if I was going to run in college, and that was, you know, like mid-June. I kind of almost felt guilted into doing it, so I kind of ended up falling into it. And then I honestly went to Stevens Point. To, uh, I was majoring in something called watershed management. You're basically... It's an, it's a branch of environmental sciences. And that was my focus. And then running... Like I said, until uh, Coach Witt had kind of tapped me on the shoulder, I really unthought a lot about it. Um, so my freshman year, as... I don't know. I wasn't sure if I was going to do this running thing, and I kind of went through it. I did a really poor job of training in the summer, and I came in and got my butt whooped, quite frankly. Um, So it wasn't a very positive experience, but then I had a little more proficiency in track. So freshman year, track started to click, and then I started to kind of rediscover the passion for it, and then it really became a big part of my student-athlete experience. There's one real kind of like galvanizing moment or something like that is my sophomore year, where we were trying to determine who we were going to get people to go to nationals in a DMR. We had a guy, Jesse Drake, who's a really good anchor. He is one of the best runners in the country. And we we're trying to figure out the other pieces put into it. So my coach had this kind of clever strategy where we had one in baton waiting. um had three people lead off in the first leg of the DMR. There's only one baton that was going to be handed out, or one person waiting for the next leg. So basically, those three teammates were in a competition. Whoever was first of the team, he determined to be the fastest leg to then hand off to the rest of the relays that ultimately Jesse Drake would be anchoring. I happened to beat my other three teammates, and then that led me to going to Nationals as a sophomore. And then that experience at Nationals, my sophomore year, is what really kind of got me back into the sport. And I want to make it sound like, you know, I was. <laughs> you know, I didn't care about it to that point, but that, like, really, really cemented and galvanized kind of my commitment to it again that it kind of lost a little bit between some point in high school cool. going into college.
0: So you mentioned going to nationals. You were a six-time NCAA Division III National meet Qualifier and a four-time All-American in the 800-meter, the 1500-meter, and the distance medley relay, which is incredible just hearing that, Uh you just reflected back a little bit on your sophomore year, but what were those experiences like for you being able to compete at the national level?
1: Yeah, I was kind of a a running stat nerd, so I knew what everyone was doing. There's a website at the time called raceberryjam.com, which is still sort of in existence. That's how you tracked what everybody else across the country was. So then to kind of expand off this, after college, I wound up starting my own kind of like running website it's called freewebs.com and I like interview runners from across the country the point I'm getting at is I really got into Like who else is in the country okay. almost to the point where I psych myself out sometimes like you put people on a pedestal Because they're so good, but either way like like so that moment sophomore year at national is what really kind of got me going and really got me um, Interested in it again. So at least for the national experiences like they're all Really neat. They're fun. Um, obviously, getting to compete against um I, uh, there's an Olympian, uh, well, one of the best-known D3 athletes, Nick Simmons. He is a, uh, I don't know how many-time Olympian in the 800. Um, but as I was a senior, he was coming up as a freshman. So And people knew he was, like, this big stud and all this kind of stuff. Um, so it was kind of cool to run against some of those people. But overall, like, the national experience was – that's ultimately what got me into coaching. Like, um, my senior year of cross-country – um we really we had two really good front runners um uh, Mark Lalonde and uh Kurt Johnson and they are guys that end up becoming all-americans they're like super studs they both got hurt at the beginning of the season and so we had all these high hopes and all kind of stuff and all the natural oh crap our season's not gonna be good all kind of emotions come through and that whole season was like we kind of prided ourselves on being the best worst team in the country meaning like we didn't have any start we're just like a bunch of seniors and obviously some underclassmen that just were kind of no names that just worked their butts off. Mm-hmm. And we didn't think we were gonna be able to get to nationals as a senior. And as a senior obviously wanna end in a high note and all that jazz. But then we just had this breakup meet at regionals down in Illinois. And I remember when I we had like our top five it all finished within about twelve seconds of each other and we knew when the finish line we'd made nationals even before the results came out. It's just like we had such a great race. And just that moment is probably why I got into coaching. Like yeah, you know, I went to Stevens Point for my degree and all kind of stuff, and graduated and worked in that field for a little bit. But like how gratifying that was with all the junk we had gone through and all the hopes that were diminished in the beginning of the season. How we worked to get to that ultimate goal, of making nationals as a team. Like that was a moment that just it. I still remember the feeling. I still remember all the sights. And I don't mean to sound so cheesy, but you know, twenty some years later, it still sticks out to me. So, okay. kind of long winded to answer your question, the national experience definitely had an impact on me.
0: But that that's something like as cheesy or as a, however it may sound, that's those those are the types of things that stay with you through your career, whether it's a coach, a student athlete, a spectator, like remembering those little moments just keep you pushing forward in your career.
1: Yeah. And that's what again, that's kind of what switched me from I mean, eventually like I guess kind of talking about I went and pursued, I work for the state of Wisconsin Environmental Agency. It's called Department of Natural Resources. And I liked what I did and all that kind of stuff, but I kind of kept coming back to some of those moments, that moment at regionals that got us to nationals. And, all that, and how much that meant to me. And, again, the whole process, it's not just that moment. It's that, you know, all the blood, sweat, and tears and all those cheesy sayings, there's truth to that. You know, like when you're getting out there in the middle of July after you work, you know, 8, 10 hours at your summer job and it's, you know, you're sweating your buns off from work and then you're, t- you know, you put putting all that work and then it comes to that one moment where you reach that goal, like, What I was doing with my career in environmental sciences, there's, again, there's nothing wrong with it, um, but it didn't have that high and low, that emotion, that, you know, energy, and that's, but certainly that moment that got us to nationals as a team my senior year is what kind of, it took a little bit for me to switch careers, but that ultimately was what kind of resonated and got me to stick with uh, the coaching thing.
0: So following your career as a student athlete you mentioned you you worked outside of athletics so that was the next step for you was yeah. following your career path yeah. then you became the distance coach at your alma mater. So, when did that take place?
1: So, I spent a fifth year. I spent um, I was finishing up. I was doing a soil science minor. It was really exciting. So, it's <laughs> been uh, some extra time to get involved with that. With the careers going into, is actually really useful. So, I just kind of was studying, and then I asked Coach Witt, you know, do you want something that can kind of help out a little bit? So, he helped me. Um, uh, help out with the the coaching it was more just kind of just being there kind of get learning the ropes he let me do some stuff with some plyometric type work with the middle distance runners he gave me some autonomy but by and large it's just there to kind of help and support so um but yeah that was like the first taste so I did that kind of my fifth year and then I want to actually you know get a real job so to speak for about two years something like that um, before I eventually stumbled back into coaching but
0: So stumbling back into coaching, you went on to be the women's cross country and track and field coach at Lynchburg College. Who helped influence you and kind of get you to want to be a head coach?
1: Yeah, again, I keep talking, going back to that experience. And then also, you know, Rick Witt, he helped me as I was doing that fifth year, kind of helping with coaching and sort of a little bit of a crossroads in a way in my life. Um, You know, he excited me about coaching but ultimately says so I, um, I worked for the state of Wisconsin for a year and I decided to go back to grad school to get a degree to go a little further with environmental sciences but again I, I miss kind of that high and low. So a guy that I ran with my first year um, at Stevens Point, uh, he was a, I think a fifth year senior, Matt Hayes. He was at Lynchburg College at the time, and we had talked a couple of times about – because he's the same thing. He's an environmental science major, kind of made the transition, and he is leaving Lynchburg for another job. So he kind of is in the middle of the school year. So actually, this time of year is in December, which is a pretty crummy time for yeah. any co- – it's it's a terrible time for you know a spring sport to be leaving. So he would called me up and kind of talked to uh, Jack Thompson his boss at Lynchburg, the track coach there too. I um, said, you might want to interview this Jesse Bauman guy. And one thing led to another, and I wound up um, leaving my grad school program at the time, which I didn't feel great about, but sometimes you have to take risks. Um, And then I moved to Virginia where I didn't know anyone, didn't have any ties, anything like that. Wasn't making a ton of money uh, by any means, but took a leap of faith and tried it and yeah, whatever, I was 24 at the time or something like that. So I guess you're young enough, you're like, I'll figure it out if this doesn't work out. and yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how I end up kind of getting my feet firmly into the coaching thing when I was at Lynchburg that way. On top of coaching
0: at Lynchburg and your experience at Stevens Point, you also earned a couple of certifications with the USATF and USTF-CCCA, which covers a multitude of events, categories. Why do you feel like that was important to you to have knowledge in every aspect of track and field and cross country.
1: For a head coach, it's obvious that, like, we have it all the time, where in one of our assistant coaches can't make it, so you've got to cover a practice. Um, so there's that kind of, like, the literal benefit to that. Um, maybe that's something that's worth noting in, in track and field is, I don't mean to diminish other sports, but I don't know there are many sports that are more diverse in the type of Participants, the athletes, the whatever you want to say, as there are in track, you know, and and basketball, I run, shoots and plays defense. And again, I don't mean to minimize that by any means, Mm -hmm. but what a center versus a guard has to do is a little bit is not quite the contrast you have between a pole vaulter and a long distance runner. You know, like so. Again, that's not minimizing either sport, but the reality of track is the, (laughs) the the. diversity of athletes and skills and all that you need teachers so much different which is that's one of the reasons why i think it's really important to get the certifications the other thing is um i think it really helped me grow as, I no doubt it helped me evolve as a coach in a big way i set not set my ways but i did a lot of reading took a lot from what i did in college all that kind of stuff you know but steve ron he's now the coach at catholic but he was an assistant here for a long time and he was involved that he really encouraged me to get involved in some of this education through our our kind of our, our governing body. And that really changed how I look at speed development, even with distance runners, but um, we apply it to our sprinters and it's really become a theme that is something I mandate with all of our coaches and we're gonna bring them on. Like I want them to follow this model because I really believe in it, but it's really helped me grow as a coach. And I do things now that with the training and the weight room, different stuff like that, that I never did before I took these classes, never even thought about it. I, you know, I'd scoff at, a distance coach making their um, their runners do true speed work, like actually thirty meter hill sprints, doing Olympic lift stuff like that. It, then again, I credit Steve Ron a lot for encouraging me to get into some of this other education, um, where it's really evolved how I've thought about coaching, and it's made big benefits. The first class that I worked with of middle distance runners after I took some of these classes, like you can tangibly see the how they skyrocketed from some of the different training methods. So it's it's good to, you know, always be learning, not be mm-hmm. set in your ways. I you know. I'm kind of going on a little bit of a tangent here, but it's been has been beneficial to kind of hear from some other experts in the field, so you don't just have this tunnel vision. Um, you know, there's a time point in time where we thought static, tre- static stretching before you ran was a good thing, and now we've kind of learned through uh, exercise science it's one of the worst things you can be doing for yourself is when you're over lengthening a cold muscle um, you know, and other things like that. Mm-hmm. Like we just learn through trial and error as a coaching community in any sport, not just track. Yeah. Um, So I think it's really, really important to always keep yourself educated. So at least every other year I try to make sure I'm doing one of the uh, coaching education components to make sure I'm sharp.
0: Well, and that also helps benefit with a sport like track and field, having multiple individuals on your staff because they can help focus on one or two different areas of the sport because you – knowing distance work and then trying to criticize a throw now now yeah. having a tenure like you do but like if it's your first second year and you're definitely a distance coach trying to tell someone how to not throw or yeah. what to do throwing can be very off-putting but yeah. being able to have the correct people on your staff that you feel fit but also having yourself get the knowledge you need
1: yeah and again I, I, we have a that's one of the things i kind of picked up in the, my previous stops coaching too is there's sort of tangent to this but um I think it's really important as a head coach to give autonomy to your assistant coach to make them, you know, not micromanage every single thing that they do, but rather it's kind of what you just said: is hire people that you, you know, you know what to look for in advance and some of their coaching philosophies, so that then you. Have faith to give them autonomy. Um, and yeah, you're like you said, it's it's very rare that I'm going up to Dan McSurdy or John Taver or whatever and telling me what to do or what not to do. They email me all their training plans before the week is and I'll glance over and make sure nothing looks out of the sorts. Um, but by and large, yeah, it's, it's, letting, it's having the base knowledge so that you know that they're doing the right thing and you can kind of oversee and let them of run with it and and, but like i said there's still days where some of our sprint coaches were in the, the arc a little bit later and i need to run a hurdle practice so it's beneficial for me to have that background where push comes to shove i'm making sure that i'm looking for different the the keys in in the blocks or in the high jump or whatever the case might be but yeah by and large it's what you said is making sure you set up your event coaches so that you can trust them to have the autonomy to have their own programs if you will
0: So you're at Lynchburg, and you hear about the opportunity to coach at Moravian College, now university, but at that point, Moravian College. What really drove you to take on a program like Moravian?
1: Yeah, um, I kind of had a few ties where um, Kate Curran was her name at the time, but she's a coach at Susquehanna who knew Walt Wendell. Mm -hmm. And then one of Kate's best friends, they all, this is probably I'm not saying in a very coherent way, but Kate was good friends with... um, someone I coach with at Lynchburg through Penn State. They knew each other at Penn State. Oh, okay. Kate coached in the same conference as Walt Wendell. Kate's best friend coached with me down at Lynchburg. If that makes sense or not, I don't know, but that's how I kind of Came to know a little bit about the Moravian job, and she uh, Kate Kern had kind of tipped me off to it. But the other thing is, we came up here all the time for the Paul Short meet, which is right across the river over Lehigh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had some familiarity in the area, and we go up to like the Armory for it's the yeah, you know the indoor plan. track right across the GW Bridge, stuff like that. So I I'd come through the area. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's not like I had you know. A whole bunch of family or other main ties is just sort of, again, a weird coaching connection mm-hmm. that, that kind of drew me to, I've, uh, she, uh, Kate Kern had mentioned when Walt was stepping down. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up up here, but yeah, I, I, I applied and it was late. I is, um, I remember going through the interview, getting lost in the middle of Music Fest. Uh, I, was tra- <laughs> I, I literally was trying to find Brave, and I came up the day before to interview with you know Scott Dappen, Mary Beth Spurk, and Bob Ward, and a bunch of others. And I was just trying to scout the area, check out where trails are, and get a better feel for the area. Um, and I wound up getting lost downtown. And um, But that was actually something that really appealed to me, as kind of a happy coincidence or something like that, happy mistake. To get lost downtown Bethlehem yeah. during Music Fest because like part of when you're applying to a job is you got to see yourself you uh, yourself agree. there, not just as a coach. Yep. And of course, you has got to have the things that you want to be successful for a program. But is it a community I can see myself living in? And then to be writing, you know, about his festival or whatever is an as an eventful of times you can have in in Bethlehem. Yeah, it's kind of funny good timing but yeah I, I, I'll i be honest I had some hesitations in part because it's so late like I actually moved up here after cross country had already started so it was like the first week of the season so you know and we were when I was at Lynchburg I put a lot of effort um Doug Thomas he's the coach was the coach there at the time we put a lot of effort into creating a course a cross-country course because we host that year on some land that lynchburg owned is a gorgeous course we were out there with bobcats and literally like blazing the trails and all kind of stuff i was doing that like three weeks before so part of me felt loyal to staying to lynchburg and all the work i put in but the other thing is i just knew that this had more long-term stability more viability and i knew looking at moravian's history i was running when Mark Will Weber was having some of his heyday with Heidi Wolfsberger mm-hmm. and um, Emily Schertzer and all the others, you know, I was aware of Moravian the success that they had even when I was there as an athlete. So that's what kind of appealed to me, even as I was kind of having some reservations about moving so late after I'd committed so much to um, Lynchburg. Is like, this place has had some, you know, some history. And again, like I said, it's a place I thought I could be happy with, you yeah. know, as Bethlehem seemed like a pretty cool town. And
0: now <laughs> they hired
1: me against uh, their better judgment and then they haven't <laughs> fired me yet against you know their better <laughs> judgment but
0: are you looking to get your hands on moravian university greyhounds gear head over to moraviansports.com and click the link sideline store under the tab fan zone to find our moravian apparel store each month there is a promotion that offers a discount to all things greyhounds from hats hoodies shirts and more Head to the Merevian Athletic Sidebind Store today, powered by BSN Sports. After 11 years here, you've been at the helm of both the cross-country programs and track and field programs. You have now three landmark conference championships in cross-country for the men, two in the women. You have coached the first male cross-country All-American in 2014, female All-American in 2016, over your tenure, those are astounding feats for a cross-country program, and you're still continuing to grow and build with youth as well in your, in your team. Oh. What do you attribute to the continuation of this program? Because as you mentioned, there have been quality runners and, and athletes coming out of this program, but to still kind of cultivate that moving forward, there has to be, I don't want to say a trick, but there has to be something Within your coaching style, that's still
1: pulling those type of athletes. There's probably some coaching stuff, but to me, a lot of it is culture. And I said this a lot. And after our men had won this year, one of the first things I tried to do is give credit to um, our class that came in in 2016. If we're at least speaking for the men, but honestly, there's a lot of uh, the same thing happened with women, like the culture Carly Janoski and others uh, mm. established. But Greg Jindal, Justin Beasley-Turner, Alex Tercey, Gavin Camry. I'm missing some, uh, Devin Fogle, I'm not listing everyone in that class, but they came in and they just had Aaron Hoffman, he's the year before, but mm-hmm. he, they all contribute to a really good culture of guys that want to have fun, um, but they're just good people, you know, and uh, it, they just were willing to – you know, you never had to worry about them getting into trouble on the weekends or them not getting in there long run when you're not looking, all that kind of stuff. Like, we just, I don't know if we lucked out. wherever the case may be, the reality is that 2016 class and that group established just an awesome culture that's just we've been able to build off of. You know, this I think from them I've been more cognizant in the recruiting process of after we, when we bring a recruit to campus, I try and vet the guys afterwards. I'm like, is this someone you can... Kind of see yourself clicking with, you know, that's obviously something we ask the recruit, but I vet our own athletes too. Is like, is this you know a good egg? Is this person gonna be a problem? And I think through that, you know, we've kind of been able to attract you know people that are good hard workers. I I talked to Devin Harris about this one. He's like, how would you describe our program? And I think it's we're just blue collar guys, you know, or and women too. I'm sorry, I don't mean to just focus on the men, Um, but just. We aren't always the All State accolades, you know, whatever, um, sending huge NIL deals or, yeah, not, you yeah. know, whatever. It's We're just, we're kind of looking for the people that are have a lot more room to grow and have a lot more hunger to grow, too. And we've just been able to kind of build it. And You've had some hit and misses. Some people don't work out. Maybe it's injuries or other things. But by and large, we've just been able to, it seems like 2016, both men and women, I don't want to overlook the, the women, but um, we had a big culture change that's really kind of we've been able to build off of since then.
0: And that starts with recruiting, being able to find, like you mentioned, someone who's coachable, willing to work, but also still fit in and grow with a group of individuals. So that contributes to what is still helping the program grow.
1: Yeah. The other thing you look for in recruiting, and this kind of goes into – it has a culture component too is – I don't want to say the schools, but there are certain schools that I won't bother reaching out to because sometimes – their programs just seems like you don't see as much room for growth after high school. They're they really take high school seriously and they win a lot of the state titles and all that kind of stuff, which is great. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But you don't necessarily see the room for like growth at the tapping next their level. full potential. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's another thing we kind of look for is look for them to be, you know, hungry, so to speak, in a lot of ways, in the sense that maybe they feel like I talk to recruits all the time. They feel like, you know, maybe my mileage should be higher. I should be doing this in the weight room and all that kind of stuff. And to me, if you're like low-end mileage and all that kind of and a lot of things that your training you haven't tapped into yet like that's really exciting to me because we're looking for those people that can keep on growing I saw that in Greg Jindal when we recruited him and he ended up coming here and Justin Beasley-Turner and Carly Donosky and a lot of people and you know, that oh I man, as a knock on some of their coaches some of their coaches in high school do it by design you know but, but they give them room to grow you know get some good results while they're in high school but not you know burn out the passion in high school and I guess uh, the stuff that we're kind of cognizant of in the recruiting process too is who has you know, room to grow and, of course, the hunger to do
0: it too. Talking with form- one of your former student-athletes, Alec Duncan, who's the cross-country and track and field coach at Cedar Crest, he didn't feel like he was able to compete at this level. And yeah. then being able to, un- like to unlock that potential is something that he never – like he will always remember because not that he didn't value himself – But he needed that coaxing to realize, wow, I can really do this. But having a group of guys along next to him that helped push him, Hoffman, Farrell, just a couple of those names that kind of pushed him to do better. So having that kind of mindset as well, like Shane Houghton has spoke about that too, having individuals that he really wants to push himself for. And not only just on your team, but being aware of the conference yeah that's a whole other thing too as you mentioned like you kind of geeked out on knowing who was doing what but no like if you have athletes that are like all right this kid from x school has been running this i know i can catch that i know i can train to get that time Do you, that
1: all feeds into that hunger in the culture yeah but then the same thing with the team is like Sarah Hughes and Meg Brockett, they were two of the best runners we've ever or had here, certainly in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, um, Meg Brock was an All American for us, and Sarah Hughes had, no, uh, they've been removed, but had some um, conference records for us, went to nationals, all that kind of good stuff. But mm-hmm. like, they're an example of two people that really fed off of each other in workouts. Like, they push each other so hard. And then with the culture component, especially when they're men, uh, both genders, men and women, like how the training packs that we have and how you maybe people you didn't expect on paper to all of a sudden grow when you just have a good culture of good guys that push each other every single run you know you're just going to go out and do a random tuesday run and you've got like seven eight other guys are going to go the same route as you and push you on that you you know let you kind of slack off and run a crummy pace or shorten the distance like when you have that core of a i keep saying the culture when you when you have that that's how you kind of get maybe some diamonds in the rough um We've had so many people that, again, on paper, you wouldn't expect to take off. Natalie Novotny is a great Mm. example of that. You look on paper, um, I say her all the time. She's like, I don't know, 160th or 200th, whatever it was in districts, you know, when she ran for Sun Valley and when they ran high school, ran districts right across the river. Like, that gets overlooked. Um, And and truth be told, yeah, her high school times weren't anything spectacular. Um, But she came from a team that's like, teammates on her high school team or something like that no one was anywhere near her but then once she got in and was able to run with the molly tallarico's and mm-hmm. the carly danassi's and all that kind of stuff and push themselves every day like she just exploded and she's a two-time conference cross-country champ for us running times that you know she dwarfed by you know multiple factors when she got here and you know i could ramble for you know hours and others examples of that but yeah it, it's, yeah, I'm broken record. You get the culture and you, get, and you touch on yourself. You have a nice core of people that are willing to, to work hard. You can get the Natalie Novotneys and the Devin Harris's, who on paper never should have really taken off. The Alec Duncan's on paper never should have taken off like he did. But, you know, with Dylan Farrell and some others pushing him and Donnie Noble and stuff, you know, just put them in that environment and you can really see things grow. So that's something I've also focused on recruiting now, too, is building up our numbers a little bit. Because we, I'm really happy with where, again, the, the work ethic is. And then sometimes you have those people that, on paper, maybe weren't, again, the ones you expect to really ascend. Shane Houghton's a great – you mentioned it. He's yeah. a great example of that. I never expected Shane to go to Nationals when yeah. I was recruiting him. I'll be honest. But, you know, he is part of a, a larger roster of good guys that are pushing him and gave him examples of how to run. Again, Greg and Justin Beasley-Turner were such good examples of that. and He took that, ran with that. And yeah. He was at Nationals four weeks ago or whatever it was.
0: Yeah, just to see the progress. And that's the one thing. Not that you don't see that in any other sport, because obviously I talked to a couple other coaches already on, on episodes of this and progress throughout four years. But you are I think it's a little different for track and field because you're seeing it over the span of a year in different events. Yeah. Where it's like you have a fall season to get this done. Yeah, you can see different things throughout a cross-country season. Then you go to indoor, and then you're like, yeah. wow, they're, they're doing all right. And then you're like – I could see them doing so well in outdoor now. So yeah. just seeing the progression over a
1: full four years. There's, not to cut you off, but two women that jump out Natalie Novotny and Emma Marion were two really good examples of that. Where they came in as freshmen, their freshmen cross country seasons were, not to be rude, there's kind of ho hum. And all of a sudden indoors, like you could see in workouts and races, you're like, this is a completely different runner. So it's exactly what you said. And it's a nice thing about our sport is that. You don't have those gaps, and you yeah. can kind of see it building. And, again, Emma Marion and Natalie Novotny jumped to mind of people in recent years where it's exactly what you said, cross-country, getting their legs under them, whatever you want to say, and specifically indoors. I can remember the specific 5K even with Emma Marion over at Lehigh. You saw, like, freshmen indoors. All of a sudden, they were a new a mm-hmm. new person, new athlete.
0: So we'll, we'll move forward now. It's, it's 2019. Both men's and women's squads finished second place in the conference meet. And then a global pandemic hits. It's hard enough to try to deal with it on a personal level, but you're in charge of not just one program, but cross-country and track and field. What was that experience for you like trying to run a program in such a difficult and
1: confusing time? It's such a long process. You know, it's sort of like there's a lot of different answers to it. But I think the one thing that... <sighs> I felt like I was constantly trying to find a way to keep the team's hopes up. And that goes for the track and everyone. I remember specifically uh last, you know, roughly this time last year, we we're talking to the track team and trying to say we think we're going to have a season. You know, as coaches, we honestly believed in our heart of hearts, but they're kept getting new signs like oops, something else is getting canceled and it looks like whenever that start point for our sport is keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. So as a coach just trying to give them the faith that you're training for something. And that was a tough sell. And I don't blame the alley. I, yeah. I get why it's frustrating. Kind of backtracking with that. In the cross country season, uh, a coach out in, um, I think it was Denison, he started kind of like a virtual meet series. So okay. across the country, people do like a Google Sheet. They'd have a specific distance they could race that week. And you had like during the weekend submit results. So you just, an honor system of, you know, it's like an 800 meter one weekend. Okay. Everyone in the country would run 800 meter and you'd score it that way. You know, so we try and, but we, So innovative, innovative. Yeah, exactly. So involved, and that's the one thing you could do.
0: Uh, Like you could be outside. You could do like that's the one thing running you could do, golfing, like other individual things. That's such a unique way to keep the sport going in a time like
1: that. And that's what we tried to do. Is um, you know, in in, in essence, we were literally, I guess you'd call it racing against ourselves. This was you know about 15 months ago, last fall, where we do a 5K on the track or 5K on the roads, whatever it was. But I mean, they would physically see the results, and so some of them they would be names they knew from like Washington Lee or whatever the school was. Yeah. Um. So you could kind of you know virtually race other people, and you know they'd score the meet and stuff like that. So it was one way to keep it engaged. But we had to use tricks like that. But is it's clearly frustrating because especially like I. Talked a lot about that 2016 class. And
0: and we talked about it in the preview as well. Is, yeah. Like, that senior class. Is that
1: senior class. So, and, and it's not like we're unique to that. I mean, every sport and every school had that. But especially for us in our, with our distance running program, that was spe- such a special class for this program. To, so to see them, you know, in some cases lose their senior year, like Carly Denoski jumps to mind, where we were literally at the practice track in, in uh, Winston-Salem. Uh, North Carolina, to uh, run the national meet. Did our warm-up, went back to the hotel to take a nap before we go out to dinner, and then we get the text, nope, you're going home. You're like We're literally shoulder-to-shoulder with lacrosse and Warburg and everyone else in the country yep. doing our warm-ups, and you send home. And what stinks with Carly is like she was just freaking on fire that year, just on fire. Um, she ran our school record in the mile, and she was running some of those meets. When she's running some of these fast times, she was gapping people in the last half mile by like 60 meters, which... You put her in an environment with the best in D three, shoulder to shoulder with them, what could have happened because she always had a great kick. Yep. Those are the things that stink. Like you wonder, could she have been a national champ? I'm not gonna say that definitively, because how can you? But yeah You can't help but so those those stories always really stink. I mean, luckily people like uh, Greg Jindal were able to Kind of rebound since he's doing our athletic training program here, and he turned that into a great right. thing with him oh, getting absolutely. all American. Um, but other people like Gavin Kemmery and Devin Fogel and Alex Tursey and Keita Mayer, I mean, they just lost that's that because right. they had to move on to other things in their lives, yeah. of course. So that you feel so crummy for so many people like that. That just, yeah, it's you know, you had all these high expectations for something that's been building and building, and then it's just it's such a crummy, crummy feeling when you're literally at the national meet and just. Yeah. chopped up, but we weren't the only ones we were talking with eton when we were out there um sam gerstenbacher he was another one that yeah. you know he was part of a really good class in our conference our conference had a really good especially on the men's side Brun uh junior had, had a really good class a lot of did you know he was someone that probably could have been uh, easily all-american i think he was in the 3k that year so everyone has that story yeah so i'm not looking for you know whatever uh, any sympathy or anything like that because we all dealt with it but still it doesn't make it any <laughs> stink any <laughs> less for the people had to go through with it.
0: So you unfortunately lose the fall season of 2020, uh, even the indoor season. It just doesn't happen. But you are able to compete outdoors in track and field in 2021. But there were still some obstacles with yeah. running in masks. Which okay. trying to add that obstacle of running in a mask, it, you're at least competing. So what was what was the The energy, like, from your teams being able to finally just compete.
1: Obviously, we're just happy to be out there after whatever it was, you know, 12 months. Of course, that was part of it. But then there was some frustration because we'd hear about a lot of other conferences and schools and high schools and stuff that didn't have to race in the masks. Um, And there is at the time this is like whatever in, in March or something like that we could just kind of tell that it was tougher to breathe with a mask on and then at the, you know it's so early in the process not like people are doing a lot of you know clinical trial studies or whatever on the the effects of masks but there's some things coming out in britain about how it reduce your VO2 max which is basically the amount of mm-hmm. oxygen you can utilize mm-hmm. by up to 30 percent. you know and we could you know, I didn't need a study from Britain to tell me that, but you know, there's <laughs> some objective data that were coming out that kind of demonstrated that. So, like, we kind of knew it was a drawback. The flip side is, and I'm not faulting anyone for making that decision, like, if, if we want to compete with the schools that we we're in, we need to wear masks, so deal with it. And I think that's what we eventually, uh, I don't mean that sounds so cold, but that's just the reality of the situation. Like, yeah. at least we're competing there are schools that are right down the road from us Haverford and a lot of the centennial schools didn't even have a season that's what we we're telling our team It's like yeah, we're, we're frustrated it could be a little bit better in our you know kind of biased opinion it could be a heck of a lot worse yeah, so absolutely um yeah it's frustrating it had some drawbacks and all kind of stuff at least to when we got to the conference meet but then after the conference meet we were able to uh race without masks so we actually took some of our better athletes at the time on the national list mm-hmm. um out to Chicago and they got to race um, and compete and throw, etc., without a mask. And we had some really good marks out there, like Crystal Robinson. That was the – they gave her the tiebreaker to yeah, get her yeah. to nationals, the 200. Greg Jindal, he got his time to get to nationals out there. We had a lot of good things happen. So uh, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't even have whined about it as much as I did. Yeah, there's some frustrations. But, again, there are a lot of schools that envy that we even get to compete in masks. So I should yeah. count my blessings, or we should count our blessings.
0: Now it's the fall of 2021, and you're about to have – a somewhat normal preseason you're getting ready to compete for the first time in two years as the cross-country programs what was that experience like as you're finally having a preseason but then you're also about to like toe the line
1: at your first meet it's more getting back in the routine like fortunately it's kind of what you talked about before with our sport we don't have much of a gap so you're kind of used to this routine with athletes developing whatever else it was so in the same way we'd kind of just gone through a season we this is the first time we didn't have to run in masks. So there's a little bit of an adjustment there. And there's still some things we had to be, um, I guess, cautious with COVID still. So there's some things in preseason that we usually done, like we go up to Jim Thorpe and go whitewater rafting and stuff like that. There's some things that kind of got pushed aside because of that. But by and large, we we're able to have some normalcy. And we just come off the spring where there was some normalcy. So is more just remembering <laughs> the routine of some things that we forgot. You, know, you get in the routine of what you have to do before a meet with getting the transportation, getting the food, like all those like logistically things. I think that if there was an adjustment, that was as much as anything. It was just you forgot the pattern and, you know, everything you had to do when you got into a meet.
0: So speaking of logistics, it was a big year for the program as you got to host the Landmark Conference Championship meet, which means not only do you host the championship meet, you host a preview meet. Yeah, What goes – because I've seen it – secondhand now from from this and also at Cedar Crest with Alec. What goes into setting up the course, because it was hosted at Bicentennial Park in Bethlehem. What goes into the process of hosting a cross-country
1: meet? Since we don't have something, obviously it's different if it's your own property. It's not our own property. We're using a public park. Um, So the first thing is working with the the parks department. I was literally there this morning actually paying a a bill still from the meet. Um, But you're trying to make sure that you're not interfering with their lacrosse tournaments and whatever else they got going on. So it's just trying to schedule a time that you can actually do it that then works with the rest of the coaches and all that kind of jazz. Um, there's a lot of other stakeholders. We're getting all the the meet officials, the timers. Um, I've got to be able to set up the course. So there's a lot of painting that you have to do. There's um, you know certificate of insurance. You have to uh, you know get to the park like all that kind of stuff. Um, so honestly, there's a lot of prep that goes in. Even before the summer starts, but it's like trying to make sure you can iron out a date. Like part of the things I was doing even this summer is ironing out with the uh, the parks department. When are days where I can go out and you know paint the course and getting porta potties there and blah blah blah. So it's sometimes I even forget the details. It's like you get into a groove, but it's it's honestly it's it's months of planning, like little minutia to making sure that you're not interfering with again it's someone else's yeah. property too. You can't just you know. It's not like your own basketball jam or football field where you can go and sit up whenever the heck you want to. It's no, you're working with, you know, when they've got to work too. So it's a lot of preseason planning for sure. And just seeing how much goes into
0: hosting this event, <laughs> let alone host, hosting a home soccer game. The field's there, you just kind of set yeah. up the equipment. This is like full blown painting lines every time you're going to this event. Yeah. Fortunately, it's only twice in a season, uh, at least this season. Um, but just seeing, we went the day before to set up because we live streamed the the meet, which was just so cool to finally have a streamed event for a, a sport like cross country. But seeing you and the and Coach Diatavio out there just setting up yeah. in wind, oh, the wind was it was insane. But fortunately, not saying it wouldn't have been as. Gratifying if this didn't happen, but the men's cross country team did walk away with the landmark conference title—the third one in your tenure. What was that moment like, realizing that it came down to a tiebreaker, but your men's squad was the conference champions?
1: Yeah, well, I mean that that's, it it goes a lot back to what I was saying with uh, the 2016 team, team in, like we thought we knew we had a really good class that came in and things just never came together with them being able to win the conference or get some other things we wanted to do on the national level. So like part of what I even told the team afterwards, the the gratification was that like, in the picture we did afterwards, we had a bunch of alums like Alex Tersey and um, Justin Beasley-Turner-Carly was there, a number of other alums, Donnie Noble. Like They knew what kind of been working on for a long, you know, for the duration of a class of athletes. So part of it was you know kind of that fulfillment, but um, yeah, the meet itself was kind of like hit and miss. At least with the men's side, where M and D timing did a good job with the mid race checkpoints of the scoring and stuff like that. And I knew we we're in a really good position at about two and a half three miles in, where we had our you know our top five pack was uh, all in about the top fifteen. We're fine, and then Shane Houghton was holding his own up front. But then with about uh, I, I could see maybe about the three and a half mile mark. Shane wasn't looking so hot. (laughs) And then things went from, well, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It didn't go so well for him. Yeah, he went from third place to about 42nd. And if you look at the the scoring in the middle of the race with about half mile to go, I think we were still winning by 10 points. And that's with Shane in like fourth or fifth place. And then when he fell to 42nd place, all of a sudden it's a tie meet. So in some ways it's like – it, the score looked very close because it was, yeah. <laughs> but in the yeah. had the you know, had uh, Shane had a better day, then we would have been able to, um, you know, win. Um, we would have been able to find, you know, yeah. so. But um, so it's like all these different emotions. you are kind of happy in the past, and then like. Even at the line, we saw this with the women too. Is like when well, you know with live meet scoring, some things, things aren't or sometimes things aren't official. You're waiting for stuff to come in. That's literally what happened but, with our women. Yeah. Is you know, granted this happened after the men. Yeah. Um, but you know, the men were tied at fifty, and I knew we had the tiebreaker. But you're like, is something not scored, scored yet, yeah. or something like that? So You're like, you're kind of happy, that, but you're like the anxiousness of waiting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then that's literally what happened with the women, where so we were winning by a point, and then what happened is one of uh, another team's runners. Her team wasn't scored as a team until their fifth runner came in a couple minutes later. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, so that's what with the, the women's score factor was. Yeah. So with the women, like, yeah, we're up by a point, and all of a sudden that uh, is a runner from Juniata. And when their fifth runner came in, then all of a sudden she went from not being factored factor the team scoring to then displacing some of our runners lower. So that's why I was leery of with the men, and as it, because it actually mm-hmm. ended up happening with the women, won. is how we lost by a point that way. Um, so. Yeah, the motions were kind of all over the map, but certainly, like, in the end, it was just very gratifying to see that all the work that, starting from that class, and I don't mean to say that that's, you know, whatever when the program started by any means, but, like, this resurgence of where our program can and should be or what we want to be, you know, start with that class, and it's good to see them there because they had so much to do with where this program has climbed.
0: And speaking on how the program has developed and climbed, Stabilito and, and Houghton's name come to mind as they did go to regionals and qualify for nationals. But the youth of both programs yeah. really stepping up their game throughout the season. Amber uh, Terra comes to mind, Nate Hadrell, obviously, yeah. Owen Owen Nafe, Just a couple of names to throw out. What really do you think contributes to how they improved over the year? Because we talk about culture, yeah. but just... Not, I'm not saying they didn't look good on paper. That's not what I'm saying at yeah. all. But I know those are some of the names we talked about in the season preview, and they just flourished
1: yeah. throughout the season. A couple of them I knew that was going to come, You know, like especially with the men, the jump from 5K to 8K in colleges, it's dramatic. So you don't always see people – what I always tell recruits too is honestly the goal is to have you hit your stride by um, sophomore year of cross country just because it's such an adjustment. Women usually kind of expect them to be able to come make an impact freshman year where I'm going with that is freshman men you just you don't want to have to count on them and I don't mean that to sound mean it's just it's an adjustment. Women Mm -hmm. you can usually expect more of but Yeah, with a couple of them, like Owen Nafe, like I just knew when I was watching him recruiting and talking, like you just see his stride, and I know they don't do a ton of mileage at Northampton, which is great. Again, that's what I talked about before. That means they got a lot more room to grow. Like I knew he was going to take off. I knew Nate Hagel was a stud coming out of high school, some of the stuff he's running in Morris County. Um, Jake Farrell was the one that kind of pleasantly surprised me, and I think he had say the same. He actually took a uh, a gap year. He was going to go to NC State, and then with COVID hit, he didn't want to be, you know, doing virtual, all this kind of stuff, so we reevaluated, it, and, and this was kind of a learning lesson recruiting with me, too, where um, I had talked to his sister about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago or something like that to try and recruit her, and she wanted to go to Shippensburg, but I remember uh, the whole family was there, including Jake, when he was like, whatever, you know, fourth grade at the time or something like that, and he's um, on the tour, and the thing that I've always been like this anyway but this reinforces that message is it always hurts when you lose a recruit and they say they're going somewhere else but as a coach always be you know graceful and tactful and all kind of stuff never you know like get mad and say you shouldn't go to the other school or anything like that because you never know when that's going to bite you back in the the butt and it could be in a thousand different ways but one of them is you know i i i the Farrells are a great family. I'm not just saying that because Jake Farrell's on our team and I'm doing this podcast, but they are great people. And I was bummed when she decided to go to Shippensburg. But it's like, you made a decision that's best for you. That's great. You know, I wish you the best of luck and all that kind of stuff. And I, I guess I've never specifically asked Jake, but, you know, I, I think that we're at least still in the mix because he happened to tour. You know, I didn't yeah. blow off Abby when she said she was going elsewhere. So, um, but anyway, back to Jake. Yeah, he is someone that he really took advantage of kind of that gap year. Yeah. And if you look on paper, he's only like a seventeen twenty-eight, I think, 5K out of high school. Not somebody you expect to be all conferences first year across country. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, but he just really bought into things. He worked his butt off. His brother's coaching some. Uh, he was coaching down at Downington West to kind of keep engaged and stuff. And he just, he's someone that just, I don't know bought in and worked his butt off and he is one of those ones that as i was talking about early in this podcast where sometimes you just have the culture of good people and then sometimes people really rise more than you expected Mm -hmm. jake is definitely one example of that then on the women's side rachel Byrne honestly is another one too where we expect her more in the 400 and i wasn't really gonna do much in cross country with her we may do a lot more speed work with her and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff but she's someone that just kind of Buys in, loves the team, um, really good work ethic, work ethic and all that kind of stuff. And she was huge for us this year Absolutely. when we were we had a lot of injuries and illnesses come up with our senior class, which really hurt us this year, unfortunately. But it is nice to have someone like Rachel Byrne was like a huge, huge ascension for us. I don't want to say out of the blue because she obviously has a lot of talent, the 800 and the um, mm-hmm. 400, but with the cross-country things, that that caught me by surprise, especially around Paul Short when she started to ascend. So Yeah. Just a but. lot of positives
0: coming from, I don't want to say unexpected, because they're recruited for a reason. The way that they performed, it was when they needed to. Yeah. And it's never a gamer situation. But yeah. at the same point, when seeing her name climb the results, it's like it, Rachel in, in particular it's just like, wow. Yeah. You love to see that type of ascension. And because she's a sophomore, so like yeah. seeing that come through. And, and I mentioned uh, Amber, like – we, we, t- we spoke about her in the preview and just to see that i don't want to say she followed through but she met and exceeded yeah. the expectation
1: and honestly she's another one or yeah i i was kind of actually expecting a little more right out of the gates with her and it just kind of took a little while to uh, kind of click in but like her and pia really established themselves as like a training pack from early workouts and mm-hmm. like whatever in August and stuff like that and it just seems like they really started to click together and pia started to take off her on paul Sh- well really all season but paul's Sh- was a big breakout for her it took amber i think a little bit of time to gain the confidence that she belonged with her and she eventually figured that out especially by conference then on regionals she had f- awesome amber had a huge 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 breakout at regionals but um yeah like i said we were kind of talking about some of the youth that's ascending and we're, we're blessed that with the women we've got some young people that um, they're not even close, so they're, they're top end yet. And that's obviously really exciting as a coach. Like that, You've got a lot of things to look forward to, and you kind of don't know what's in store in, in, in a positive way, and we certainly have some of those athletes.
0: Well, and that leads into the final question I have. You finish this past season on a high note, just a point away from the women's squad earning the Landmark Conference title, but the men do claim that crown. With as much youth and potential as you have moving forward, what can we expect moving forward next year
1: for this cross-country yeah, team? Both squads. Um, we're, it's obviously tough to lose. We're going to be losing Natalie Stabilito. Um, uh, so like maybe I'll speak with them, just the women first. Uh, Emma Marion and um, Santina Burek. That's going to hurt a lot, obviously, and especially with Santina. Or I mean, well, all of them are great leaders, and you know, Natalie was at nationals, all that kind of good stuff. That being said, we have a, a really, really good freshman commit for next year and some good depth of other freshmen potentially coming in. But also our freshman class this year on the women is with Lynn and Gore really stepped up this year. Um, Katie Love Lovett, Rachel Goodman, I think, is someone that's still discovering her stride, but I, I expect really big things from her. Like we got a lot of really good young pieces with the women where and we just finished fifth um, in the region. And I honestly think we can be even better next year even with some of the hits that we're taking, and that's no dis respect to um our senior class it was huge for us this year but just again we were kind of just talking about amber and pia and some of them how uh, rachel burn how they're just kind of starting to figure things out yeah. you know see so, yeah, i'm expecting that they can be a top five team at regionals and we were doing that then it's in any given day maybe have a shot at nationals um with the men too i mean we had i think it was uh well, we're going to pretty much bring everyone in our top seven back. We're going to lose Dom DeRaffalo, but Shane Houghton's most likely coming back, picking up a, a second major. So we'll probably have six of our top seven runners back from a team that's just sixth in the uh, the region. Honestly, I honestly don't think we had a great regional race either. So if we bring all those people back with someone that – you know a team that I think could be – I don't know. We're honestly talking about Nationals being the potential for this group because – I mean, three of our, our main components are, are freshmen. And yeah. you see so much growth going from freshmen to sophomore as you adapt to the training and all the, you know, the, the, the racing distance, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I mean, especially it's just like Nate Hagel If you just look at the growth he had in three months, it was just astounding.
0: Absolutely. You
1: know, um, he was our, I don't know, seventh or eighth, I don't know what he was, runner went at our first meet at Lehigh, and all of a sudden he is our top guy at at conference. And number two at regionals, and you could just see, like, objectively looking at the data of his workouts and stuff, how much he improved. And if that was just in a three-month span, imagine what's going to look like in a twelve-month span with him and Owen and Jake. Uh, someone that is going to be a big name for us. You didn't see as much this year was um, Josh Mangini. He had a lot yeah. of different injury issues. And the guy ran a fifteen fifty-five k for us during COVID. Then he's just been battling through some some stuff. But we get him healthy. He's just as talented as any of those freshmen. And obviously with Shane back and Liam Duffy, same thing. He had maybe something i didn't talk about is our men were beat up all year like we didn't even know if we'd have a lot of these guys that were key for us in the like in the conference meet and going on liam duffy is one of them he was out he basically didn't run for a month yeah i was gonna say it was
0: almost a month because yeah just injuries injuries
1: and all that kind of stuff so like if we have a healthy season with these like even what we accomplished this year is just kind of a not just because of the fact they're a freshman but it's a shadow of what they can accomplish just because they were so beat up owen nath you know, he sees another one. He only ran about, I don't know, three or four days from Paul Short until conference. You know, and here he is, whatever it was, eighth in the conference. Again, yeah. Liam Duffy was, I think, 12th or whatever he was, mm-hmm. uh, all conference. The guy hardly ran for a month, you know. So I'm rambling off a bunch of stuff, but yeah, the excitement is, I mean, I keep telling John, like, the next year could be one of the best years we've ever had in the history of our program. I don't mean to be hyperbolic or put too much pressure on him, but just. looking at things objectively absolutely
0: it's that excitement level the potential like if you're healthy
1: yeah what this team could do for the program is going to be astounding and well the other thing that's about it is i keep saying the culture thing is like especially the freshmen and not to say that it's not coming from the upper class because undoubtedly it is but like they're really bought into and that's what's important is like they are eager to get out and run like Owen Nath if he ever has a bad workout like honestly the day after I mean uh, that night he'll come in and ask me like what can I do to get better coach Um, like across the board the people Casey Frank you know he's texting me all the time on the side about ways that he can get better and you know moving up into better uh, event groups he's not someone we talked about but he's got a lot of injury issues and has tons and tons and tons of talent so just like again, the eagerness of these guys to get better and so much youth and so much injury history if we can get by that like Again, this season is honestly just barely scratching the surface of what these guys could do. And again, not just because they're freshmen, because we were so freaking beat up and well, lucky to get and the
0: line. The intrinsic motivation. Yeah. That definitely plays a role because if they have that culture where yeah. everyone wants them to get better, they want to get yes. better too. Yeah. So having that buy in
1: within themselves to help the bigger picture yeah like again owen is another example i'm gonna keep dwelling on him because other people could you could apply this to jeffrey kleinberg you you can name it but like um i use the pool more this year i've always been a big advocate of what you can do in the pool Mm -hmm. as to me it's the best form of cross training you can do it's the closest you can simulate running if you can't run because of injuries or whatever the case is but he is someone i mainly use it this year for some of our injury prone athletes or that were actually injured at the time owen kept asking to go in extra time like he do his runs like hey can I join the injured group tonight get an extra volume because he's trying to make that you know bridge that gap and so many other guys are just like that again like Casey Frank is one that jumps to mind that is always looking for how we can you know do more what even Wyatt Panictro and like um you know he's someone that just came in here to just do the 800 and he is always asking to do extra 8ks and stuff like that like so across the roster it's guys that want to work hard and all that kind of stuff so like I'm never one to pat myself on the back and I'm certainly not going to with this year's team because it's just like they're good guys that want to work their butt off. And the women, I, I'm sorry, I'm talking about the men too much because the women is the same thing too. Like yeah. the way Lily Mangora and Rachel Goodman and Amber Panicter and some of our freshmen took off this year and it's the same stuff with them. It's how hungry they are and what a good Riley Murphy, I should be mentioning her more too, where she's just like such a team first, hungry, you know, athlete that wants to improve and and we're just blessed to have that across both rosters, and yeah, that's that's fun because it hasn't always been that way. I'll be honest; I won't. We've had some years where the culture wasn't the best. Yeah, every every team goes through that. So when you finally get that, it's it's almost like the the ship steers itself in some ways. It's it's kind of nice when you can. You know, obviously you're not literally standing back and not doing yeah. anything, but there's a lot of there's a lot more burden taken off of your shoulders when the athletes can kind of take over. A lot of, or take a lot of autonomy in their development.
0: Jesse, thank you so much for spending time with me this afternoon to talk about and kind of recap how the pro the, the programs did this past fall, but also reflect back on what it was like for you as a student athlete throughout your coaching tenure. Just been a pleasure to learn about your experience and how you've developed the program here. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you for this opportunity and thanks for all that you guys do. Obviously, uh, the first ever um, live stream landmark cross country is thanks to the efforts of you and Mark. So thanks to all that you guys are doing for uh, sports information here as well.
0: Thanks, Jesse, I appreciate it. (laughs) I had such a great time talking with Jesse Bauman, the director of cross country and track and field here at Moravian. We had the opportunity to reflect on his past and his success as a student athlete then taking that success through his coaching tenure including his most recent men's cross country championship as the host of the landmark conference championship meet. Be sure to follow the cross country and track and field programs on social media at Moravian XCTF on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't done so already, go ahead and follow Moravian University Athletics as well. That's all I have for you on this episode of the Hound's Huddle podcast. Until next time, I am LJ Smith, signing off.